Is doubt good or bad? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been given the benefit of the doubt? It's a little bit different question. Have you ever been given the benefit of the doubt? I was given the benefit of the doubt in the Zacadoo's drive-thru just a couple of weeks ago. They sell lovely, large, half-and-half half iced teas for $1. Count it, $1, that's everything. No extra tax, no nothing, $1. I'm a millennial, so I don't carry much cash. So I get to the drive-thru, and I don't want to use my card, so, I, so I, I find the change compartment in my car. And I'm in line, you know, I've got, I'm counting pennies at this point. You know, I've got like, you know, 30 coins in my hand. And I said, I got a dollar. And I just go, and the guy just says, here you go, have a good day. And I hear the change just drop in the, in the, in the, in the thing, the, the, what's it called? The register. And uh, I'm like, man, he gave me the benefit. Of the, he didn't even count it. He gave me the benefit of the doubt. And I feel good, even something that small. It felt good to me. So I feel like sometimes in life we, we don't get those little nice moments where people uh, give us that. Okay, a little bit more serious one. Um, my students have heard this story, but in college, I got caught cheating. I did not study like I should have, and uh, one of my core law, pre-law classes, it was civil law, um, you know, all these administrative cases and, and all these things, and Dr. Simon, that's who it was, and I go back to that place. And um, I'd, I'd scurried into my seat, and, you know, the sort of wraparound guys that aren't made for left-handed people, by the way. It's like, you know, you don't have a place to put your writer. Um, I throw my binder down, my notebook's down there, and I noticed the way that I put it, I could see some material. So at this point, I, I've not intended to do anything, um, but it's there, you know, and it is, it is just screaming at me, you know. It's... It's the ice cream in the freezer at 10 o'clock. You know, it, you just know it's there, and you know you shouldn't go to it. But uh, Dr. Simon is pacing the room, and she notices that my eyes went down. And, you know, it was the Lord, certainly, but, and she saw me. And then she and I locked eyes, and it was essentially, it's time to go. So I picked my things up. Um, I go to her classroom after the class, and she had every right to absolutely flunk me, turn me into the judicial board, um, and send me on my way. She did give me a zero for that, uh, and I could not make it up. I did not have a good grade in that class as a result. But she gave me the benefit of the doubt that I didn't intend to be a cheater, but I did. I mean, I was still caught. I still did it, right? It's kind of like when the police officer pulls you over. For some reason, I find that women have a bit more success at this. They're able to, I was doing this good thing, you know, and they pull me, well, here's a nice ticket. Um, we're familiar with the benefit of the doubt, and if you've had one of those like I've had, it's made a lasting impression, it's almost grace you didn't deserve. Well, this morning we're going to see that Jesus offers the benefit of the doubt. Shows the benefit of doubt through John the Baptist. So, if 
you have your Bibles, I invite you to, to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. It'll be on the screens as well. Either way you receive it, please give your eyes and ears to it. This is the word of the Lord. Chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard, that's John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples, remember he had a number of followers, and said to him, him referring to the Christ, are you the one? Who is to come? Or should we look for another? That's a relevant question, isn't it? And Jesus answered them. So he's, he's now responding back to John's disciples. Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Notice the, the active tense. Lepers are cleansed, are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And then he ends with, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And they went away, or as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds. So now he turns. Matthew's given us this cue. He's, he's now changing his direction. And he says this to those around him. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, teach us the way of your statutes. And we'll keep them to the end. Give us understanding, and we'll keep your word. We'll seek to observe it with our whole heart. Lead us in the path of your rules, because we know that we find delight in them. Incline our hearts this morning to your stories and not to our own selfish ones. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give us your life through this, your word. Amen. How you doing? So is doubt a strength or a weakness? Is it good or bad? Flannery O'Connor wrote this. I think there is no suffering greater than what is caused by the doubts of those who want to believe. I can only see it as the process by which faith is what? Deepened. A faith that, is, that just accepts is a child's faith, and all right for children, but eventually you've got to grow. 
as every other way, though some never do. What people don't realize, this is her still talking, what people don't realize is how much religion costs. They think faith is a big electric blanket. When, of course, it's the cross. It is much harder to believe than not to believe. Remember the Polar Express? He couldn't hear the bell. Remember that? <laughs> it's just a cute example. I love it, though. He couldn't hear the bell. It's harder to believe than not to believe. She ends with, keep asking for it and leave the rest to God. This morning, I want us to answer that question about doubt. And, and I've put it this way. Why is doubt, so you're, you're getting my cards here, why is doubt the weakness that we all need? Because it opens us up to the truth. Doubt is the weakness we all need because it opens us up to the truth. Some of you might be not liking the way I'm using the word doubt. And if it's easier for you to, to think of it, think of it as just asking questions. Think of a student in a classroom. Think of it as a process of learning. Doubt is the weakness we all need because it opens us up to the truth in two particular ways this morning. The truth first about ourselves and the truth about the kingdom. The truth about ourselves and the truth about our kingdom. Verse 7 uh, when, when, when Jesus is responding to John, to his question, and he's turning to the crowds and he says, what did you go out to see, a reed shaken by the wind? Someone who in the midst of hard circumstances is waffling? This, of course, is a rhetoric remark about John. But this is, this is where we must learn the truth about ourselves. We must doubt some assumptions about ourselves. And, and the thing that we must know is that we shake in the wind. Circumstance produces doubt in our life. What happened this week that all of a sudden something was stirred up into you, probably around one of your children, uh, a close friend, um, maybe something at work, maybe, maybe something you heard from a supervisor, like something was just unsettling enough, doesn't even have to be major, that it resulted in, wait a second, am I in the right place? Did I pick the right profession? Is, is that my child? What? <laughs> Circumstance produces, unfortunate circumstances produce a doubt. A doubt that, in fact, is a weakness we need. Andrew Brunson was, a, as you know, uh, is an ordained minister in our denomination, and he was recently released uh, from, from Turkish um, prison. And he's already begun to, to write a book about his experience. I mean, he's essentially a modern-day um, martyr, apart from dying, of course, um, for the faith. And in an interview about the book, he, he wrote this, or he says this, My crisis of faith wasn't a matter of being imprisoned. It was more the feeling of abandonment. You get that? I get that. I had expected strength to pour into me. Did you grow up in the church? I had expected to feel an overwhelming sense of grace. Has that eluded you before? 
When this didn't happen, this is heavy, I became suicidal. God doesn't promise to make himself overwhelmingly present, to to fade away all sense of fear and anxiety in our moments of pain, confusion, and doubt. You agree, right? Your, Your experience affirms that. And what can happen is that we feel left alone. We feel left alone. John would ask the question, are you the one? So he doesn't actually use the word Messiah. This is a, the way that the grammar connect. It's, it's the one. It's the one who, right? And, you know, this, this is sort of simple and, and kind of silly, but... Um, I've talked to a number of my, really, it's been my, the, the boys. I don't think I've asked any of my female students this. It might be a little awkward. But um, I asked them, like, why, why they date? Like, why, why do you do that? Why do, why, why do you think that's helpful? Like, what is that for? I don't know if their parents were talking through them or they actually believe it. I mean, I was quite proud. A couple of them said, well, I'm just trying to, you know, I'm just trying to find that person. Trying to find the one. I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but they didn't mean it cheesy. Like they were like, you know, I'm just trying to figure this out. How can I relate to someone romantically um, in, in an effort to find that person? Okay, let's move away from, from high school homecoming. We all search for something. We all search for something to infuse our life with meaning, purpose, security. John the Baptist, he was prophesied in Scripture. His birth was announced by God through an angel. He was a Nazarite. You remember the story of Samson? He was was a part of the Jewish custom of being consecrated. He was like an ancient monk. He lived in the wilderness. I mean, we're talking about a paragon of faith here. And he's asking, are you the one? Or should we look for another? Folks, we look for another all the time. Whether it's our quarterback, romantic love, our kids, our spouse's income, I don't know. But we all do it. You know, you've heard it a thousand times, but because it's so true. Augustine talks about your heart is just restless for that puzzle piece that is only the size of Jesus to situate itself in your heart. And until it does, you will consume, consume, consume whatever it is that your heart is lusting after until he's there. Doubt is the weakness we all need because it opens us up to the truth about ourselves. That in the midst of tough life stuff, we shake and it's high time we name it. It's time that we stop pretending. It's time that we admit it. Because it reminds us that we don't know it all. If John the Baptist presents to us a teachable moment, what would Christ want to do for us? Hall of Fame basketball coach John Wooden said, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Man won what, 10 Championships. 
It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Doubt, question asking, being brave enough to offer to God and your friends what it is that is, that is perhaps leveling you or just unsettling you so that the truth about yourself might enter in and begin to bring about hope. This is where I want to end this first point. <clears throat> in verse 9 and, and verse 11, uh, what did you go out to see, a prophet? You know, so Jesus is now getting to the point. Um, yes, I tell you. And more than that, he quotes loosely Malachi. Then he says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not been another greater. That's a strange idiom for no other human on the planet before me has ever been greater. Folks, don't you find it neat, at least, that it is on the foundation of John's doubt that Jesus brings about faith in other people? He uses John's doubt to establish faith in the crowd. Doubt is the weakness we all need because it opens us up to the truth about ourselves. Second, it opens us up to the truth about the kingdom, the king and the kingdom, the king and the kingdom. You see, we, we want a strong king. We want a powerful kingdom. We've all, we, we, we know this. We've, we've heard this a lot. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, John says in chapter 3, again, he doesn't use Messiah. He uses the one, and he connects them to this adjective, the strong one. You remember that? I'm not worthy to untie the late, but the one who comes after me, the strong one. Some versions say the mighty one. We're not, we're not dissing John. We're only acknowledging that what our hearts think we need is a strong king, a powerful king. You see, John, is he's in his prison cell, and he's hearing about the deeds of the Christ, right? I mean, he's, he's seeing what Jesus is doing, and he's like, you know, it might be hip in the 21st century to be low-key, but I don't, Jesus, you don't need to be low-key now. You know, that was supposed to be kind of a joke, but we need you to be strong. We, We've been oppressed for a really long time, and, and prophecy is constantly pointed to a king who's a warrior uh, who's going to deliver us from this. And you're over there, you know, hanging out with people I'd forgotten were even around. And notice what Jesus says in verse 4 and 5. See, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. The mark of the kingdom was and is and will be the physical restoration of things. To confuse it otherwise is to miss the very mission of our God. You see, the kingdom as presented in Scripture, has always flowed to the weak. It's always flowed to the weak. Noah, I don't know, the delusional sailor. Abraham, the obscure farmer 
kind of frightened pimp. Remember, he, he, he tells that, that his wife is his sister twice. Jacob, the entitled coward. Moses, the fearful murderer. Rahab, the brave prostitute. Ruth, the poor foreigner. David, the, the family runt, adulterer, and murderer. And Jesus' ministry is marked by women, children, sick, broken. Paul's entire mission is to create doubt among God's chosen people regarding their favored status. The true kingdom is filled with people who doubt that there could be a kingdom for them. They're the ones who said, you did that for me? Me? You invited me to that party? They're our misfits, our forgotten elderly. They're our abandoned children, perhaps at Vashti. They're our single and widowed parents. It's in these communities that the kingdom of God has come. Luke, the parallel counts, Luke and, and Matthew, um, in the Beatitudes section, you remember how one version says, blessed are the poor. Another version says, blessed are the poor in spirit. These things aren't a contradiction. They're not a contradiction. Because poverty, whether it's spiritual or physical, is the very gateway into the kingdom of God. How do you know? I mean, how do you know if you're making it there? We think we need a strong king. We think we need a powerful kingdom. And Jesus smacks us with the truth. Notice that he uses John's doubt about what he assumed the kingdom was about to prove that he was the one. He didn't run from that question. He used it to say, no, 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 John, 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 you grew up in the temple. You, you know this. You, you know the stories. I'm doing exactly what the scriptures said that I would do. He doesn't shame John. He uses his question to prove himself true. Take that to lunch today. He'll use your question to prove himself true to you. Matthew 11, so just, just ahead into verses, I think, 28. Um, let me find it here. Sort of a famous instance. This is, Jesus is likely, you know, he's in the same, it's the same period of time that this moment is recorded. And these words we hear from Matthew, we hear from Jesus through Matthew. Come to me, what? All who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am, what? Gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest your souls. Had Jesus come as the one that many of us thought he would be, there would be no one left here. If he came with the sword and the spear, no one could stand. He didn't come to be strong and bear judgment, or excuse me, to bring judgment. He came to bear it. Our only hope is when we understand that the kingdom and its king 
is one of lowly and gentle status. Verse 11 follows up, you know, Jesus commends John. That's just crazy to me. Commends John. And, And it's also because he is the final forerunner before Jesus. Like, don't mistake this is a subjective truth only. It's an objective reality. I mean, he's the final prophet. He's, he's the one who heralded the guy. So there's, there's both of those things going on. But in the second half of verse 11, he says, um, Yet the one who was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Our Lord became lame, blind, deaf, mute, blindfolded, scourged, Scorned, killed. He became the least so that he might be our and the world's greatest. Doubt is the weakness we need because it opens us up to the truth about God's kingdom and her king. How can you know if if, if you're there? We all... Every human has some sort of moral code. We have this. It, I don't, it doesn't matter if you're a humanist, an atheist, a Christian, a Muslim. There, there is a moral something about us, right? I think you, we would all agree about this. And most of us will uh, sort of create a, well, not us in this room necessarily, but most, of, most people will create sort of a ledger. And in that ledger, there are some debits and there are some credits. There's some things we did poorly, i.e. cheating on an exam. And there are some things we've done positively. Something good we've done. And and even if it is us in this room, I guess what might happen is we could subliminally sort of do a a quick uh, math equation and see how we're doing and see if we end in the red, see if we end to the good. But the Christian, the one who has doubted their assumption about the kingdom and has trusted in the one presented by the Christ, hears him when he says no one is righteous. Hears him that your righteousness is like rags. And says, I have done lots of bad things. Says, I have done lots of good things, but even the good things I did for wrong reasons. You see... The Christian living in God's kingdom says, I've got no credits. I can't can't save myself. I can't even reform myself. And this is that weak, broken spirit that that Christ's kingdom bears itself out in your life. This is the gospel. Takeaway from this is this, that doubt... The kingdom of God that says help comes to those who help themselves. That's not the one. Jesus instead uses John's doubt regarding the content, the character of the kingdom to prove that he's the one. When life happens, here's what the enemy wants to do. You ready? 
He wants to convince you that you've been forgotten. Remember that. C.S. Lewis wrote a, a, a funky book called Screwtape Letters, and I, I, I think you should read it. You might have to put it down every now and then because it's creepy and it's very scary that he can actually take up the words of Satan and they sound wild. The devil wants you to think that your life is particularly difficult. He wants to think that you've been singled out. He wants you to buy into the lie that while you suffer, others thrive. While you are being questioned, others are being respected, being given the benefit of the doubt. He wants you to believe that you've been left alone. You heard it from Andrew Peterson. He wants you to question God's goodness. This is the, this is the central doubt, I believe, of the Christian life. The one that we get plagued with over and over. If, you've, if, if you are in Christ, the one you continue to resist and fight, is God good? Like, Does he see this happening in my life? Why is he doing anything about it? I beg you to see that this has been the MO of the enemy from the beginning, from the garden to the desert with Jesus, when he can convince you that you're alone, that God has forgotten you, that he thinks that that doubt will drive you away from him. And I encourage you this morning, Christian, to let that doubt send you to him. Thomas said, I'm not going anywhere till I can touch the guy. Poor guy got a bad name for that. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus didn't shame him. He just walked through a door, which was kind of cool. And then he said, check this out. You know, he like, you got a good tattoo. Jesus wants to show himself faithful in your life. Name your doubts, First Presbyterian Church. Present to God and to one another those things that you are struggling to believe whether it's general truth or a particular instance where you are convinced that God has left you. Because I believe that as we do it, God will show us that he'll leverage his truth in our hearts about ourselves, that we have nothing, and about his kingdom. He has it all. And I'll end with this story. A guy named William Wordsworth, that's a good name, Romantic poet, 1800s, experienced tragedy. His three-year-old daughter died. And he would go on to write a poem called Surprised by Joy. And in it, he sort of talks about this just like tumultuous experience of, of experiencing joy amidst tremendous pain. And it leads him to despair and it leads him to hope. My invitation for you is that as you express the seeds of your doubt, that you and I might be surprised by joy. Even in the midst of those questions, with God's goodness toward us, his faithfulness toward us through his son. Let's pray together. Father, We don't want to be like John the Baptist. That's not who you've made us to be. You made, you made one John the Baptist. And 
He served a redemptive role that we'll never carry. But gosh, we, we see how you responded to him. And we want to be found out the same way. We want to believe that when we're honest with you, when we name the elephant of our doubt, that you won't send us away. So Lord, we, we need courage. We need courage to give it a shot, to come off the bench and give it all we've got because, Lord, I'm convinced through your word this week that you're a God who longs to show his people that he's good. He's sovereign and he's good. And the hearts in this room that this week would absolutely say the opposite. Touch them. We don't, we're not promised that you will. But it's our hope that you would. And either way, let us be a community that says, we'll come around you. We'll be with you and we'll lock arms and, and we'll pursue this thing called Jesus, this man, this God, together. Lord, buoy hearts this morning. Give us the strength to say, God, I don't know about this. This one's really wrecking me right now. God, I want us to be a place where that is true, that people see it. Thank you for your word. It never fades. Rooted into our hearts. This week, in Jesus' name, amen.